Today on the Guild of Dads podcast, I'm joined by Mark Ulmrod, Royal Marines Commando, Triple Amputee and Invictus Games medalist. I discuss with Mark the events that led up to him losing both his legs above the knee and his right arm above the elbow in Afghanistan in 2007. How gratitude played such a large part in his early recovery stages and still does today. The way in which he used the setback as a massive opportunity for a comeback and a ton of useful information around not only Mark's mindset but the way he approaches life and his daily habits to stay living a life of no limits. Hi, I'm Joe Horton and this is Guild of Dads. Hey, you over there. Yeah, I can see you. Come over. Sit down and join me as I'm about to have a conversation about you. A conversation about what it means to be a dad, a role model and to live a life of meaning. About your physical health, how you look after yourself, contribute to the world around you and raise our next generation. A conversation that will shape the vision you have for yourself. Forever. Hey and welcome back to another edition of the Guild of Dads podcast, your weekly discussion around being a dad. Going out worldwide to all corners of the globe, including the USA, the UK, South Africa and also Australia. In this podcast, we tackle the issues that matter to dads, including mental health, relationships, physical health, spirituality and contributing to the world around us. We speak to guys that are dads themselves on this podcast and we also speak to experts in each facet of a dad's life to help you level up and become the man and dad you always wanted to be. You have to take action and the easiest way is by making some changes. Just pick a few changes in each area of your life and make your move. It's imperative that you make your move before you're ready in order to progress along your road in life. The conversations we have are designed to be thought-provoking and to make you really reflect on your life and what you're doing in your life, but also give you the tools and resources to go ahead and really smash it. Now, right now, there's never been a better time than during this period of change and reflecting during lockdown lifting to craft a plan for your future. And there's three things that can help you grow right now. Number one is our growing community of men over on our Facebook group in which I do weekly lives each Wednesday on a variety of subjects. You can get involved with and shape how this community and movement evolves going forward by getting involved with that group. The second thing is I have a book releasing shortly called the VAM Blueprint which stands for Vision, Action and Meaning in which I recount my story and offer a blueprint you can follow to develop your vision, take action, and live a life of meaning. And the third thing you can do is to check out some of my previous podcast episodes to really investigate the areas you can level up in right now. Imagine living your life without the full use of both your legs and your right arm. That's something my guest today doesn't need to imagine, as it's his reality. However, far from letting it limit him, Triple amputee Mark Ulmrod leads a life of no limits and his story 
but more importantly come back, serve as a lesson to us all. Royal Marine Commando Mark Ormrod had both his legs amputated above the knee and his right arm amputated above the elbow after stepping on an IED during a routine foot patrol in the Helmand province of Afghanistan in 2007. He was the UK's first triple amputee to survive the Afghanistan conflict and Mark's original prognosis was that he would never walk again. However, he defied this and not only walked again, but used the experience as a springboard for progress to propel him forward and reinvent himself. He's an internationally acclaimed motivational speaker, a peak performance coach and author of his award-winning biography, Man Down, which has been docu-filmed by Amazon Prime. Not to mention a multiple Invictus Games medalist and jiu-jitsu enthusiast. Having not used a wheelchair since 2009, his amazing prosthetic legs, as people call them, have enabled him to continue life as a mentor and role model to amputees and as an ambassador to the Royal Marines Association. Mark lives with his wife and three children in Plymouth and I'm proud to have him speaking to me. Such is the impact he has had and continues to have on the world. A true role model. And now for my conversation with Mark. Mark, welcome to the Guild of Dads podcast. Thank you, mate. Thank you for having me. Pleasure, pleasure. I've been blown away pretty much because I first, I can't remember where where or when I first heard about you, but somehow our kind of paths have crossed on social media and it's kind of, it's, it's kind of evolved from there. And I reached out to you and said, look, would you come on the podcast and have a discussion with me? I've subsequently read your book, Man Down, which had a massive kind of sort of impact on me. And your story is just kind of uh, incredible going through the the things that you've been through and, you know, being a triple amputee and the experience in Afghanistan and all that kind of stuff. And what I wanted to sort of touch upon is that I think in this last little while during lockdown, I think it's been a kind of reflection point for a lot of men and a lot of women, and a lot of families. I think everyone's reflecting at the moment on kind of what this means for them and um, the things that matter and the things that they've kind of taken for granted. And I just wonder what your thoughts were during this period in terms of like taking stuff for granted. And, you know, I, I was doing my ironing the other day and I know that you were, you, you were standing six foot one uh, before uh, the IED in Afghanistan. I'm six foot two. And I looked down at my legs while I was ironing and I was like, after I'd finished reading your book and I was like, it made me think, I looked down at my legs and I was like, I, t- I take these two things for granted and your book mm-hmm. made me think about that. And I just wondered what your thoughts were around that whole issue of taking stuff for granted and, you know, reflecting at the moment, which is a, what a lot of people seem to be doing. Yeah. Um, you know, one of, one of my biggest things anyway, whether we're in lockdown as a pandemic or not, uh, one of the biggest things I always try to preach to people is gratitude anyway. Mm. Uh, it was one of the biggest things for me after I got injured that I started to focus a lot of my attention on. Mm. And I found that, and, and it was hard, don't get me wrong, like, you know, a lot of people, I can say it very easily now because it's taken me years to be able to develop that kind of mindset. Mm. But what I found, you know, when you, you got to imagine, like you said, I was six foot, I was six two, uh, about 16 stone. And then, you know, I wake up in hospital a couple of days later, three and a half feet tall, about nine stone two. 
you know, my life just completely changed. It would be very easy, and it was very easy to focus on a negative. But eventually, um, I started thinking about the things that I could be grateful for, mm. and it, it shifted my mindset. And I found it very difficult to get down or to think negative thoughts or to be angry if I consciously chose to try and focus on the things that I could be grateful for. Mm-hmm. Now, in my particular situation, in the beginning, as I'm sure anyone listening can imagine, it is very difficult when you wake up in the morning in, in a hospital bed, you know, one minute you're in Afghanistan, you know, peak of your physical fitness, a Royal Marines commando, six foot two, 16 stone, taking a fight to the enemy. Then you wake up a couple of days later out of a drug-induced coma, like I say, three and a half feet tall, both legs missed above the knee, right arm missing above the elbow. It can be very difficult in those first couple of weeks to find something that you can be grateful for. Mm. But for whatever reason, you know, as more people started getting injured and I've started learning more and more about other people's stories, it, it gave me, and it kind of sounds a bit, I guess selfish really, but it gave me, I looked at other people's situations and it put mine into perspective and it made me feel grateful for the things that I did have in my situation. For example, my face um, is unmarked. Mm. You know, I very nearly lost my left hand as well. Mm. I have no internal injuries. I only had three operations post-injury. Now I have friends who have had over 50 operations friends that have had to have their hands stitched to their abdomen to regrow flesh on them. The first day I went from a hospital to a rehab center and I went into a high dependency room, I went past um, another single man room and that night the guy in there was up all night screaming in pain Mm. and in the morning when I went past my wheelchair, I looked in his room and this guy had a huge chunk missing out of his head where a grenade had gone off. He was 19 years old had to be craned out of his bed, you know, had to be washed and everything. And it kind of just made me put my life in perspective. And then I was all of a sudden a lot more grateful for the fact that, you know, actually I'm going to be able to walk again soon. I've got no brain injuries. What you see is what you get. And so I carried that with me, mm. you know, and, and it's something that I, it's a very powerful tool that I use daily, you know, and in a situation like this, I, I still do it. You know, yeah, it's rubbish, right? We can't get up and, and live the way that we did previously. And I'm very busy. I, I, I love and I'm always out there traveling the country, traveling the world, speaking, working, fundraising, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, you put the animal in a cage with no end date inside of when I can come out of that cage mm-hmm. and get back to doing what I love doing. But when I get down and, and angry and, and a bit upset about it, I just think, okay, what am I grateful for? Mm-hmm. I'm here in this house, with a roof over my head, with food in my fridge, only the normal amount of toilet roll. I didn't go out and panic by any, but I've still got some. Uh, <laughs> with my kids, you know, and I'm homeschooling my kids. We talked about it just now, fair. Yeah. I am I am struggling with it. it. It's hard. It takes up the majority of the day. Um, but, you know, I'm grateful for that because these are the things that they remember growing up. Yeah. You know, we try to make it fun. We go out, we exercise at least once a day. You know, on the weekends now, I have almost been forced uh, due to not being able to go out and work as much as I could before to use in my hand cycle more. So yeah. now that, the good thing about that is I'm going off family bike rides. Never done that before. So I'm grateful for that. You know, and, and that's just been a massive thing that's helped me get through 
this period of existence so far. And, yeah. you know, people that are listening may think to themselves, well, what have we got to be grateful for? You know, I'm stuck in my house. I can't go out. You know, maybe your funds are depleting or whatever. Yeah. And I know it's hard. I'm not, you know, glossing over it and saying that it's easy. But, you know, if I could give anyone any advice or a tip, it, it would be to try quite difficult, you know, quite hard to, to focus on what in this situation you can be grateful for. And I guarantee if you look hard enough, you find something. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as well, what you're saying is, is there's, it's getting that perspective as to where you are in terms of everyone else's, because I've always, I've often found that where I find you, you find yourself getting down on yourself and you sort of think, well, actually there's probably someone a lot worse off than me. There's probably someone a lot, yep. a lot, a lot better off than me. So there's always, you're always in this kind of sort of like, um, uh, in, in this kind of whole scheme of things, there is like a spectrum of like, you know, who's worse off and who's better off and stuff. And it's easy to kind of think, oh yeah, I'm I'm feeling really down right now and stuff. And and also I think there's a lot of value in controlling the things that you can control. Like I think the problem is that is becoming a bit of a head, you know, we again, we talked about this before we came on, came on air. I think the thing that's doing people's heads in at the minute is there's so much kind of white noise and news and stuff at the moment and the problem is with the news is it is it fills your head up with stuff that, that is totally out of your control um most mm-hmm. people can't control all the stuff that's happening in the news right now whereas they can control you know how they show up what time they get up in the morning um whether they're going to be of a cheery disposition whether they're going to make a list of stuff that they need to get done that day whether they're going to have a plan you know what's going to be important to them in that day that you know the next week the month ahead and stuff and that but I think it's easy to get immersed in just like the shit for want of a better word, isn't it? Yeah. And, and I think it's in times like this when you've got to sit down and kind of have a worry of yourself and decide what kind of person do I want to be when we come at the other end of this? You know, do I want to look at this as an, as an opportunity to take advantage of whatever I can, not, not in a malicious way, hmm. but, you know, take advantage of this extra time that I've got take advantage of the fact that I've been furloughed from work and I can spend more time with my family, take advantage that I can go around and do the DIY projects in the house, get the gardening done that I've got off all the time. Or do you want to sit in, you know, and come out the other end worse than when you went in Mm. and focus on all the stuff you can't control, all the news, which, you know, 95% of it's garbage anyway, and they just make stuff up. Mm. Um, So you've just got to consciously decide, you know, and I've decided I'm going to come out of this way stronger than when we came into it you know I'm, I'm reading every day i'm you know getting on top of my emails i'm doing as many of these as i can podcasts instagram lives pushing out content and, and stuff to people just trying to get on top of things and see what's good about this situation mm. yeah and i think it's there is a i've noticed there's a big um divide between you know the first few weeks it was kind of like a bit of a novelty for some people you know the first week to 10 days certainly you know it was you know how many times how many crates of beer guys had got and you know how many netflix series they've sort of binge watched if you like sort of thing and i Mm -hmm. think that 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 in the last couple of weeks there is a kind of clear delineation between guys that are using this as productive time and guys that are just like actually i'm bored and whatever and stuff and i find it difficult when i see people go oh yeah i'm bored and i'm just like how can you be Come around to my house. I'll, I give you, I'll give you things to do. You know, <laughs> do you know. I just can't. I just can't get my head around it. 
like being bored like there is so much stuff to do and if the if you can't find something to do there's something that you can do to nourish your brain to kind of learn new skills you know there's 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 hundreds of websites online where you can do free courses but just like no one seems to have an appetite for that and I can't maybe it's just horses for courses but I can't get my head around that do you know what I mean no I don't know how anyone in this day and age can be bored like you've got everything you want at your fingertips with smartphones, smart TVs, laptops, the internet. You know, you can you can do anything. I've, what you said about courses just now. You know, a friend of mine that uh, I was in the Marines with has got an app called Employable. And he is trying to give away now during lockdown one million pounds worth of free courses. Right? So part of it is like a CV building app where it's out your career. And part of it is people upload their courses. So you want to do health and safety you know, level one chefing or whatever it is, he's trying to give away a million pounds worth for free to help people get through this. And I'm like, how can you be bored when you've got people doing stuff like that? Go and, go and boost your CV up so when you go back to work, your boss is like, holy shit. Sorry, can I cuss on this? Yeah, no, it's fine. I'll just mark it as okay. explicit. <laughs> right. You know, and then go back and go, holy shit, you didn't waste your time. Do you know what I mean? And then, like I said, about just now coming out stronger, you might go back to work in six, seven, eight weeks time, your boss looks at that and you get a big promotion or something. You know, so, you know, there's no, there is no such thing as boredom, just boring people. Mm, yeah. And funny enough, I was doing an Instagram live with someone re- uh, a couple of, a couple of weeks ago, a guy called Ryan Mickler, and we were talking about this very subject actually. And, you know, we made the point or we, we you know, we discussed the point that coming out of this, uh, some certain businesses are going to have been under a lot of financial pressure and they're, they're going to want people who are going to hit the ground running in the autumn or whatever, exactly. whatever time, you know, this kind of thing lifts. And, you know, the guys that have been sort of, you know, the guys that have been pissing about and mucking about and, you know, not taking it seriously and just treating it as a holiday. You know, if you've got two guys in, on your team and one guy's been sitting at home doing jack and the other one has been saying, oh, actually, boss, what can what can I do to plan for when we're going to come off of this? You know, what skills can I equip myself with that are going to be useful yeah. to our company going forward? What guy are you going to keep on and what guy are you going to let go? And I think some people are kind of sleepwalking into this scenario at the minute and they're just like, come on, guys, get real. You know, this is what's going to happen in the autumn. They're not going to take But even, even if you, you know, for example, two guys, you know, they're taking the proactive approach now. They're both bolstering their TVs, doing courses, trying to progress in their work. They go back and the boss says, I'm sorry, lads, one of you's got to go. We can't afford you financially. Whoever gets let go of, he's still practical to that next position rather than doing nothing and trying to find another job, you know, entering where he left before lockdown. He's now bolstered his CV, progressed yeah. his skills, and he can just jump into another job easily. Yeah. Well, not easily, but he's got a lot better chance of doing that. Yeah. Well, the thing is, you're building value into yourself, aren't you? You're putting value into yourself that is going to be valuable to other people, employers or teams or whatever, mm-hmm. but kind of sit, you know, doing nothing, you're just not going to, you know, it's kind of a bit like, uh, I don't know, it's kind of like say, sitting on a ship at sea and hoping that the wind is going to blow you to, in the direction right. that you want to go rather than actually saying, right, I'm going to I'm gonna hoist my sail up and I'm going to direct the uh, tiller in the direction that I want to go, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you can appreciate that being being a Plymouth boy and the uh, ship fit yeah, sea, yeah. seafaring terms, you know what I mean? So, but yeah, yeah. But I think, yeah, I think there is, I think there is a kind of a lot, a lot of, a lot of value 
value in that, I think, at the moment. And knowing what you know about sort of triumphing against adversity, what what skills and sort of attributes, I mean, we already t- touched upon it, what skills and attributes do you think that guys should be looking at developing right now at this in this current period in time, Mark? Well, I think it's that's a very individual thing. Hmm. Um, you know, it would depend what their goals are. But one thing I will say is, you know, lockdown or no lockdown, the best investment you can ever make is in yourself. Hmm. You know, pick up a book, read, educate yourself, listen to podcasts, audio books, whatever it, whatever it is. You know, as long as you're learning something that is relevant to you and who you are, where you want to go and who you want to be, you know, you're winning. You know, so I, I, I've been doing exactly that. I'm just about to finish one book. I'm going to start another one probably tomorrow. Um, I've been trying to do more and more social media stuff, trying to build my presence online and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's just, I guess it's just whatever is relevant to you in, in your situation and where you want to go. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think that's good. Sound advice. Mm. I think that is sound advice because I think the thing is, is there is a tendency... I think with people nowadays is to look at what someone else is doing and think, yeah, I'm going to do that rather than thinking, well, actually what works for me? Where do I, what, what's kind of consistent with my vision of where I want to see myself going and stuff. And I know you use, you use, I've seen your kind of vision board that you have on the wall of your gym. Vision is a big thing for you as well, isn't it? Yeah, hundred percent. And so my, my, what do you want to call it? Driving force, if you like, is to, be the ultimate version of me, right, in, in every area. So fitness, family, finance, career, whatever it is. So that, that vision board I have next door in the man cave, it has things on it like um, a jiu-jitsu black belt, you know, because I want to work every day towards getting that. It has pictures of healthy meals because I like taking care of my body. It has quotes, you know, positive quotes. It has things about meditation, it has pictures of like a big nice house that I want to own one day because it keeps me focused, mm. you know, and, and that's important as well. Visualization for all the negativity that's out there, you know, on things like social media, you can customize timelines on your own social media. So all you see is the things that you want to see, which has a great knock on effect to your, your mental health to keep it positive. You know, I, I spent, I spent in the beginning a lot of time doing that, customizing all my social media channels so that I didn't see any of the guff. And the negativity and the rubbish, it was just all good stuff that, like a mobile vision board, takes me towards where I want to be. I like that. I like that. That's interesting what you said about kind of curating your social media feed so that it actually feeds your brain what you need from a mental point of view as well as a physical point of view. So I think that's kind of overlooked sometimes because people get into this whole thing of, oh, well, I know what I'm going to be doing with my body and physically you know, I'm not going to um, put junk into my body because I want my body to be performing at its best, my immune system to be strong for me to feel healthy and stuff. But people don't really give that same attention to detail around their kind of mental state, you know. And we right. we talked about this before we went on air about kind of limiting your intake to news. And we've talked about it uh, during this conversation already. And I think there is a lot of value in that whole kind of curating what is actually going into your brain. Cause I don't think people, they don't really think about that in the same way as, you know, junk food for the body, but they don't think about junk food for the mind in the same way. I don't think these days. No, I mean, there's a quote that I, um, 
that I learned a long time ago from a, a bloke I've read uh, a lot of his books, been to his courses, a guy called Tony Robbins. Yeah. And he says, where focus goes, energy flows. So basically, whatever you're consistently focused on, it, it's go- you're going to get dragged towards that. So if you get up in the morning every day and you're watching the news and you're hearing a negativity and, you know, politics or whatever it is, you know, that's going to shape how you show up that day mm. and probably beyond that, you know? So having vision boards, having positive social media feeds, reading the right books, listening to audio books in the car instead of the news, that's all going to have a positive effect on your mental health. It's going to feed your brain mm. healthy things like way, the way people feed, well, most people want to feed their bodies. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of really tapped into this a number of years ago when I was, I kind of got into Zig Ziglar for a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, Les Brown I like as well he's not everyone's cup of tea Les Brown but he's got this deep sort of southern states American accent and Mm -hmm. one of the things I like about kind of Les Brown and listeners to this will be kind of he always goes on about Les Brown but you it's it's good to check him out because he has this very he tells these stories and one thing that I really like about him is he's just he's just got this kind of ability to really kind of motivate you and make you feel positive and for me like the first I find the first couple of hours of the day the first two to three hours of the day are critical and I don't really want to be listening to anything kind of negative for those two to three hours because I think it sticks I think there's a sticking point in those first couple of hours that if something negative sticks to you in those first couple of hours you just don't shake it off for the rest of the day whereas I think positive stuff in those first couple of hours makes a massive difference you know what I mean and this is the thing. So, you know, if you think about it, and I caught myself doing this a couple of years ago, and I forced myself to change my daily habits and routine. Because what I think most people do is the alarm goes off and they hit the snooze button two or three times, right? And then they drag their ass out of bed and they'll go and have, I don't know, a coffee full of milk and, and a cigarette or something. And then they'll come upstairs, they put the news on, start brushing their teeth. And subconsciously, all they're hearing is, the economy's crashed, Donald Trump's done this, someone's murdered somebody, the world's falling apart, and they're not even realizing they're taking it all in. Then they go down and they have something junky for breakfast, like a bowl of sugary cereal, or grab you know, something that's not sufficient, a quick slice of toast with no teller on it. Yeah. Get in their car, they drive to work, and they get cut up by someone. So then they get angry, and they get stuck in traffic. And then when they're stuck in traffic and they're angry, they're listening to the same news on the radio again, telling them all the same rubbish. And then by the time they get into work at half past eight, they get around the water cooler, they've got to get a coffee, and there's five other people that have done the same morning routine as them. So then you're in a room, and five of them, by half past eight in the morning, just hate the world. And that just permeates throughout the rest of the day. So I started changing my routine, you know, straight away, I trained myself. As soon as that alarm was at half past five, the first thing you do is sit up, right? And then you go into your morning routine, which is either training or meditation or whatever it is I'm doing on that day. And then instead of putting the news on, you know, I've got two young kids, but I'm not going to pretend that I did it for them, but I'll put cartoons on. Yeah. Right? So I'll put Spider-Man on or the X-Men or something, because then that makes me feel like a kid again, you know, and it's fun and it's uplifting and, you know, gets my imagination going. Then I'll get in the car or if I jump on the, the hand bike, do some cardio, I'll put these on, I'll listen to an audio book or listen to podcasts. And then I'll go out about my day and I'll drive off, do what I need to do. I've already planned the night before what I'm going to do that day. So there's no stress of me going, oh, what am I doing? What am I supposed to be? I already know, boom, 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 boom. Yeah. And then you're happy because you get those dopamine hits when you tick one of them things off, tick one of them off, tick, you, you feel like you're making progress all through the day. 
you know, and then you get to the end of the day and you have an evening routine as well to help you wind down and then you rinse and repeat the next day and it just makes you so much more productive. Mm. And I think that's especially critical now. You know, I don't even slack off the routine now. I don't need to get up at half past five every day now because I'm not going to work, but I still do it. Yeah, yeah. You know, I get up and I read. Yeah, and the thing is as well is those hours are just golden hours, like I say, because I just think, I just think that those first few hours of the day are almost like a, it's like a dry sponge soaking up moisture, if you know what I mean. You kind of, mm-hmm. it, you, 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 your brain just soaks up stuff so much. I mean, I, I found that when I got heavily into meditation, uh, I slept a lot better. I was, I, I got mm-hmm. into a very good meditation habit of doing like half an hour every morning and I slept better in the evening, which is kind of weird because you think, well, how would meditating in the morning allow you to sleep better in the evening? But it has, it has that effect so many mm-hmm. more hours down the line. And the only thing I can, th- well, I know for a fact that when I was meditating regularly um, early in the morning, I, you, it enables you to let go of a lot of thought when you wake up in the morning. You know, you've got that kind of river of thought thing going on and it just allows you to let go of it first thing in the morning. And I just don't, I think it just stops it from festering all the way through the day. So then you can't sleep when you go to bed at night sort of thing. So, but definitely meditation was the big, I would say the single biggest thing for me that that helped my sleep. Definitely. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of meditating as well. I haven't been doing it a lot lately. I did, did one yesterday and and it was brilliant. I got on one of those Shakti mats. Yeah. Like the roll up with spikes on it. And did like 25 minutes yesterday on, on Sunday. And uh, it's almost like you wash away a whole week of, of stress and you just feel so relaxed when you get off it and yeah. zend out like you can think straight. You know, I think this whole thing of the whole world slowing down the minutes help with that as well. Because a lot of the time, I, I feel like a ping pong uh, pinball. Ting, 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 everywhere. And you can't think straight. You get to the end of the day and you're like, what just happened? Yeah, you know, so I'm I'm really enjoying this whole slowdown at the minute and just being able to focus again and and look around and look up a little bit and take it all in. Yeah, yeah, and concentrate on the things that are things that are kind of important to you. The mm-hmm. one of the things that I really kind of noticed about when I was reading through your book, and I'm not going to go deeply into your book because I don't. I think it'd be valuable for people that are watching this to kind of actually read the book yourself. But one of the things that really jumped out at me, Mark, was when you were talking about and this goes this goes back to kind of mindset is is when the doctor suggested to you that you may never walk again and and again this comes back to something that les brown said which was somebody's opinion of you doesn't have to become your reality which mm-hmm. jumped as soon as i read those words in your book about what the doctor said that was the first thing that jumped into my head in terms of you know someone's you know someone's view and someone's opinion and someone what someone thinks doesn't have to be your reality and mm-hmm. your journey after that was kind of incredible when the guy from the um uh, from the forces came in the next day and gave you a completely different reality which you then mm-hmm. kind of seized upon and start and moved forward at kind of rocket rocket speed sort of thing and i just wonder whether you could kind of delve into that with us mark well the whole thing about someone's opinion not being your reality I mean, you know, I've read a lot of books from personal development to autobiographies, you know, fiction, non-fiction, all that. And, you know, this goes back to, like, my childhood. You, you read someone's book, like, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? And everyone knows him and thinks, 
oh yeah, he's a movie star, great, he was the governor of California. But if you actually read his story back to the beginning and you you read what he went through, you know, come out of Austria, I want to be a bodybuilder. And everyone's like, what's a bodybuilder? What do you want to do that for? This is what I want to do. They're all saying he can't do it. He's like, yeah, I am. Gets conscripted into the army, jumps over the fence, finds a way to get a train to compete in bodybuilding shows, goes out and does what he wants, has his massively successful career. Then he wants to go into acting. Oh, you can't act. You've got a funny accent. No one can say your last name. You're only ever going to be good for playing a villain in a movie. No, And he's like, I don't believe that. That's your opinion. That's not my reality. I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. Lo and behold, you know, decades later, however long it's been, he's massively successful at that. Yeah. Then he goes into politics. Oh, you can't do that. You're a movie star. You're not a trained politician. Blah, blah, yeah. blah. You know, then guess what? He was successful at that. Same as like Sylvester Stallone. You know, if you've read his backstory about how he got Rocky on the big screen, you know, and how he was literally had no money left, sold his dog, you know, then eventually someone said they would make the movie and he said, I'll only let you make the movie if you let me be in it. And they're like, no, you've got a funny mouth and no one knows who you are. And But he was just like, no, this is what's going to happen and I'm not going to stop until it happens. And now again, look at him now. You know, so I, I knew all those stories way before I got injured. Yeah. And they helped me. You know, I was like, well, come on, these guys have been told, no, you can't do this, you'll never do that. And they went, hmm, actually I can and I'm going to, I'm just, this is what it's going to take. You know, and they went and they were successful. So it's just, I guess you just got to have that belief in yourself, mm-hmm. you know, and there's an abundance of information out there now about doing anything. So when that guy, that doctor came in to me and said, you're never going to walk, straight away I'm like, I'll take his opinion as fact because I don't know this life. I've been an amputee for four or five days at this point. Mm. You know, what he told me made sense. You know, he's like, I've never met anybody with one leg missing above the knee who can use prosthetics and you've got two legs and, a, and your dominant arm. So I thought, okay, this guy must know what he's talking about. 30 odd years in the game. But then a couple of days later, a guy walks in my room with two prosthetic legs on, both above the knee. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, cool. Well, he's done it. Why can't I? So I get on the internet, start researching for... He, he had both his arms. So I found a triple amputee and I'm like, well, look at what this guy's doing. This is incredible. If he can do that, we've got this very similar level of injuries. There's no reason I can't do that. If I just do what he did, you know, and that's exactly what happened. You know, I reached out to this guy, Cameron in America and through, through all of the, uh, so I've, I've studied NLP up to math practitioner and coach level. So I oh. understand the concept of modeling. So I just thought to myself, well, what will I do? This guy has been doing it for six years. I can take six years of his failure, his successes, his triumphs, his losses, and I go out and meet him, and I can distill all those lessons down to about three weeks and learn what he's done in six years in three weeks. And that's what I did. I went out there and got absolutely hammered for three weeks, never used a wheelchair again since June the 9th, 2009, you know, through modeling. Yeah. Yeah, and I love the, I love the way you mentioned that because someone asked today, so someone asked on a on a um, a dad's Facebook group that I'm part of about about comparison and the negatives and positives of comparison. And my response to that was, well, there's two ways you can look at comparison. You can either say, well, that person's doing so much better than I am, I could never do that, and whatever and stuff. Um, and then you, then it becomes something which is kind of where you're beating yourself up and you're you know, talking down to yourself and you're kind of, you kind of adopting a kind of defeatist attitude. Or you can say, 
that person has been doing what I, I want to do for the past 10 years. Why don't I find out everything that they've done, work out what exactly. they did to get to where they're going to, where they are right now and, and start to try and emulate what they've been, what they've done, not copy what they're doing, but emulate, find out what they're doing and then, and then learn everything. Cause it's a bit like sort of saying to, it's a bit like, you know, why would you not do that? Because it's kind of a bit like saying, well, that person knows exactly what I should be doing because they've walked the path that I'm going to be walking. Um, sorry, if, pardon the pun, Mark, but um, uh, why would you not go to someone and say, uh, tell me what you know, because I want to know yeah. everything you know. You know what I mean? Do you want to get involved with a community of other dads who are looking to develop themselves? To continue the conversations we have here on this podcast in a place for dads only that fosters brotherhood, camaraderie and personal growth, then we have just the place for you. At the Guild of Dads Facebook group, you can connect with other dads on a similar journey, share experiences, offer support and seek support. Most of all, you can get some accountability in your own journey and get involved with the discussions and topics that every dad faces. So look us up on Facebook, join up and get involved with the discussion. Looking forward to seeing you in the Guild so you can start your journey with us today. It's the quickest way to learn something. <laughs> it's, it's, it's simple, isn't it? Again, Tony Robbins is a, is a big fan of that, of modelling. You know, he just, he wants to learn something. He finds out everything he can about it, what's taken people 20, 30, 40 years to learn, and learns it in six months. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it, but the, the, the thing that he says and that I you know, uh, back up and, and I've noticed in life is that the part where people can do that and they can read it and they can learn it and they can know what to do, but where they fail effectively is when they, when it comes to taking action, you know, they, they're like, okay, I know what I'm doing. And then they beat themselves up again. They're like, why is he getting the results? And I'm not it's because you're not doing anything, mm. you know, it's, um, yeah. And the whole thing with, with Cameron there, learning how to walk, I could have, found him on the internet, watched his videos, not emailed him, not reached out to him, not gone to America. So I could have seen everything that was available to me, but without taking action, mm. I never would have got to where I needed to be, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that paralyzes people the most in this life. Um, you know, people don't take action because they're scared of, you know, they're scared of what someone's going to say about them. They're scared they're going to be ridiculed. They're scared they're going to make a fool of themselves and fall flat on their face and all that kind of stuff. And I think mm -hmm. that, you know, and I think that is a that is the hardest thing because most people, I think I read somewhere recently that most people who plan to do something, they put off doing it for five to six years before they do it and before they pull the trigger on it. And then their biggest regret is that they didn't do it sooner. <laughs> Which yeah. is crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it is crazy. But yeah, it's, I think it's even harder nowadays because of some, you know, of social media and stuff like that. So people put themselves out there and there's just a bunch of assholes around it that are just waiting for you to fail at something and they can bend your confidence and, you know, make you not want to pull the trigger and, and do that stuff. Mm. But, you know, failure, this is going to be sound really corny, you know, because everyone says this, but it's part of success. You, you have to, you know, that's how you, people don't take action because they fear failing or sometimes they fear success. But the failure part of it is all part of the journey. It's like when you're, when you're a baby and you start learning to walk, you know, and you fall on your ass. You don't go, oh, actually, this ain't for me. 
I failed then. I'm just going to crawl around for the rest of my life. You know, babies don't know how to do that. They just keep on cracking on until they figure it out. As you get older and you understand the world and you get a bit scared, oh, I want to try that, but I might fail it and they'll laugh at me. You know, people stop taking chances and stop pushing themselves to be the best that they can be. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a lot to be said for what I call a saboteur as well, Mark, because I, I you know, I mentioned to you again off air, I'm d- doing a short ebook for from a website which is going to be a free download which sort of explains kind of my journey and what I've you know what I've what I've been through in the last few years and stuff and that and one thing again I notice for a lot of people that are wanting to accomplish something difficult in those early days there will always be someone that's kind of what I call a saboteur so what they do is they will kind of they'll kind of shatter your dreams and they're trying to say you can't do that and you know it could it could be uh, very subconscious it can be quite close family members or friends or people that you thought were your best friend and they're like Mm -hmm. why would you bother doing that that well that's a waste of time i don't know why you're getting up so early in the morning why why are you beating yourself up like this and you know all this kind of stuff and whatever and i think one of the important things for people to take away you know from our conversation today is that when people are saboteurs they it's not you it's a reflection on them when they see you doing something they look at you Mm -hmm. and, and, and they think and they think shit why i should be doing that so the easiest way to yeah. to to kind of make themselves feel better about the fact that they're not doing it is to sabotage your efforts to do it and yeah. you know because what they're trying to do is they're like actually kind of this person is doing something that i want to do or they're trying to better themselves or they're doing something they're doing something if anything and the easiest way to make me feel better is by bringing them down a peg or two. Yeah, that will make right. me feel better. You know what I mean? Rather than dragging themselves up to their level, they want to drag you down to theirs. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And some people, what I've found is some people will tell you you can't do things from a, a place of fear because they, they don't want you to succeed because then it does highlight their shortfalls and their shortcomings and, you know, they then start to feel bad that you've done well and they haven't. But then some people also do it from a place of love where they just want to protect you, mm. you know, and you're like, you know, if I woke up in the morning and I was like, well, I want to be a, a billionaire in five years. Now everyone around me is like, realistic, that's not going to happen. And they want to protect you from that because it could, you know, have quite negative consequences. So there's two places that I think they come from, you know, when, when they say you can't do this, you can't do that. Mm. You just got to know which one, it is. Yeah, yeah, and I've experienced it with. I've experienced it because last year I did thirty days dry. I don't have. Uh, I, I just decided that I'd not drink on the head for for thirty days, <laughs> and I thought, yeah, at the end of thirty days, I'm going to be gasping for a beer or a glass of wine. And I got to the end of the thirty days, and I was like, I'm actually not that fast. And I sort of started drinking yeah. again, and then January came, and I thought, well, I'll do sixty days in January. And then someone, uh, a pal of mine down in Australia, said, "Oh, why don't you do ninety days?" And I was like, "Okay, I'll do ninety days." And I sort of get sort of sixty days into it, and my wife says to me, "Oh, do you miss having a drink?" And I'm like, "Not really, sort of thing. I miss having a cold, a, a cold drink with ice in it, but I don't miss kind of alcohol, sort of thing." And then, mm-hmm. and then I get to like the ninety days and whatever, and it's really weird because all of a sudden, people in my sort of circle of friends and bless them, they're not doing it because. You know, they're not doing it because they, um, but like people have started saying to me, oh, when are you going to start drinking again and stuff and that? And to me, you know, it, I'm not that fussed about it now. I could take it or leave it mm. really. 
And mm-hmm. it's interesting how it seems to be bothering other people more than it's bothering me. Do you know what I mean? It's a really weird. Yeah. It's a really weird thing. <laughs> I can't get it. Yeah, no, I get. It's, I think again, they, they kind of feel a little bit sometimes that you're leaving them behind. Yeah. Because you're improving yourself and trying to better yourself, and they they almost they they admire you for it, but they're kind of like, oh, I should do that, but, and then you know it's it must be difficult. You know, I just, I, I don't know. Human beings are strange people. Yeah, yeah, and they're definitely getting stranger and 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 stranger. I noticed on your, um, I noticed jujitsu is quite a big part of your life, and a lot of guys I speak to really kind of benefit from the, I think the the mental side of it as much as the physical side. And for, I, I've done one taster session on jujitsu, but a few people have said to me look, um, forget about kind of strength because there you can be worked over by someone that's a lot smaller than you just because they've, they've got the technique, they've got the... But a lot of the guys I know that are into jiu-jitsu are very much... Um, they very much advocate the actual kind of mental side of it even more so than the physical side of it. And like I say, I know it's kind of a big part of uh, of your life and I wonder what your, what your thoughts were on that. I, I agree. Totally. First of all, it's it's the closest fraternity that I've found, similar to the military, right. uh, as in the brotherhood, the camaraderie. Um, it's, it's probably the closest thing outside of the military that I've found to that, mm. which is a, a big part of my life. Uh, secondly, you know, no matter what's going on in your life, you know how stressed you are, you know what, what's going on professionally or personally. You can't think of any of that stuff when someone's trying to choke you. It's impossible. Because all you think you just your mind is constantly just focused on surviving. You know what I mean? So when you're rolling around with someone, they're trying to choke you out or tap you out, you know, it doesn't matter if you didn't pay the mortgage this month or if you're not doing so well at work, you're just in the moment mm. because you're you're in survival mode. And you know, the whole mental aspect of it is it, it is a mental game. Mm. It is it's like human chess. Once you get over that initial six or eight point period, the, the really frustrating period where you don't know what you don't know and you start learning stuff and figuring out what you should do here, what you should do there, then it becomes this game of mental chess. And then it's, you know, I think human beings, you know, one of the times that they feel most alive is when they're growing. And in jiu-jitsu, you're always growing because you're always just trying to better yourself, better yourself, better yourself, better yourself. But that's, you know, the whole grading system, that's, that's what it is, it's growth and you never stop. You know, my my, my uh, professor Sam has just got his black belt last year, and he says he feels like he's just starting again. You know, what I mean, he's got all the way to the black belt in like ten or eleven years, and now he feels like he's at the bottom of the pile again. He's continuing to learn and grow. You know, and that's that's uh, I think why it becomes quite addictive mm. and because you, th- you just know that. And do you, and do you think that that kind of has a lot of parallels to what's going on at the minute as well in terms of it being a kind of leveler when you get on the mountain and stuff and, you know, uh, bringing everyone in at this kind of same level in terms of where they are and being patient with your progress and being on a journey. It's, it's a, it draws quite a lot of parallels in terms of life in general, maybe, Mark. Yeah, I think, I think it does because, you know, when, when you're on the mat, it doesn't matter if you are a £500,000 a year CEO or you've just got your first job for minimum wage. On the mat, you've got just two BJJ practitioners trying to choke or tap each other out. Mm. 
Mm. You know, it doesn't matter. When you're in that room, on those mats, everyone's level. Mm. And, and the same, you know, like now, you know, it's a little bit different, but it doesn't matter who you are, where you're from. We're all, it, you know, they keep saying it, we're all in this together now. We're all kind of together with a, with a common purpose and a common aim, and that's to, to beat this disease and get it back to normal life as soon as possible. I think that'd be quite sad when we do get back, you know, because I think all this coming together and, and community that we've experienced, you know, the Thursday night claps and, and all that kind of stuff, everyone's just going to go back to 150 mile an hour, you know, in the rat race, mm. just doing what we did before, you know? Yeah. I hope they don't. I hope they don't. Yeah, and I think that's going to be a discussion, and I think it's going to be a discussion that's going to come up a lot in the next little while, is how do we kind of, and it sounds corny, how do we bottle this feeling up and, and package it and so, so that we can keep it, so we can keep it going for as long as possible after this? Because, you, you know, we touched upon it at the beginning of our conversation, taking stuff for granted and, you know, reflecting on stuff. You know, you don't realise that something's gone until it's gone and, 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 and then life kind of returns to normal. If it does return to normal, you know, and how quickly that happens and whatever and stuff. And it's this kind of constant readjustment and uncertainty and i think that you know maybe i think that you know some of the military guys i've spoken to are a lot more i won't say relaxed with it but i think i think you're you guys are a lot more comfortable with uncertainty than the average joe on the public is just because i think that the the military background and your experience you know reading through what you went through in afghanistan iraq and stuff there is a world of uns- there's certainty in what you're doing, but there's an uncertainty as to what might happen at any, you know, at any specific moment. And your story is testament to that, isn't it? So, yeah, I think I think a lot of the military guys and girls um, have been have been finding this lockdown because this is, this is what you do in your career. You know, you go out to places, you're isolated for months at a time. Like you say, with the uncertainty, you never know when you're going to go back home. You get a rough idea, mm. but you never know for sure. You have a rough idea what's going to happen day to day, but you never know for sure. And you just roll with it. You improvise, adapt, and overcome. You make the best of your situation. You find the good in the little things. You know, you develop these habits and these routines that get you through the days. And you, I think a lot of the time people don't even realize they're doing it. They just develop these positive coping strategies. So... Mm. When, you, when you're at home, like here, now I look around and I've got light, heat, Wi-Fi, food, shower, bed, security. I've got everything I ever want, you know, and I've been, spent times in my life when I've been living in a shell scrape in the floor with poisonous spiders running around by my head, with mortar bombs landing in, you know, close proximity at four o'clock in the morning. This really isn't that bad uh, for, for me, yeah. you know. It's, um, it's, again, it's a perspective thing. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It does come. To, it does definitely come down to perspective and and seeing the sort of pictures, you know, the pictures in your in in your book it shows how you guys, you know, made light of the situation and stuff, and how humour injected into a situation can really kind of lift the spirits and stuff. And I remember, mm-hmm. I remember reading through your book and seeing that picture of you a couple of a few days before Christmas where you just decided to strip off in camp with, yeah. with, with your uh, Santa's hat. So that made me chuckle quite, quite a lot, that one or whatever and stuff. And that was like, well, I think the funniest bit was where seeing where all of you have got different farmer tans going on. Some of you have clearly been yeah. sunbathing with the uh, tops off and others have been leaving yeah. their vests on for the whole of the uh, however many months you were out there. 
that's it. Yeah, but in, in that situation, you find, you know, you when you actually sit down and look around you, you're living in like a mud hut mm. um, and you've got limited resources. Like, you know, luxuries were get, was getting a 10 minute phone call home on a satellite phone every two weeks with Apache signal. That was a luxury. You know what I mean? You were lucky if you got that. So you just made the most of the situation. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and there's one bit where you talk about just proper losing it. We're losing it with... <laughs> It's, it's comical. It's comical, but it's not comical. There's one bit where you talk about proper losing it with the sat phone when you're on the phone to the missus, and you kind of oh like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And she, and she <laughs> thought there'd been like she thought there'd been like a uh, explosion or like an uh, like a uh, an attack. She on thought I got. Sh- <laughs> she thought I got shot. Yeah, because we were in a a shipping container, and the signal kept dropping out, and so I, I just punched the inside of the shipping container, and it made a massive, loud, echoey bang, and. Uh, I phoned her back and she thought I'd been shot. <laughs> obviously didn't understand the whole situation, but yeah. 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 And I, 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 that was something I also wanted to touch upon with you because you do talk about, about your relationship with your missus when it kind of first happened. And you can see this picture behind me. That's um, the reason I, I'll tell you the reason I've got that picture behind me of Churchill. That's a letter that, that on the wall behind me, you, you People that are watching this on YouTube will be able to see this. But basically, I've got a canvas behind me. And what it is, is uh, Winston Churchill took power in 1940, when he became Prime Minister in 1940. And Mark, the story behind that is that um, one of his uh, staff had mentioned to his wife, Clementine Churchill, that he'd been a bit ratty, he'd been a bit short, he'd been kind of a bit you know, difficult to deal with with his staff after he'd became Prime Minister. And what she, what Clementine Churchill did was she wrote that letter to Winston Churchill, basically calling him out on his behaviour. And the reason I have that on my wall behind me is I think it's just a reminder that from every now and again, everyone needs calling out on their behaviour, even if you're Winston mm-hmm. Churchill. And even if it needs to come from your missus calling you out yeah. on your SH1T, it's an important lesson that we all kind of must learn, which is why it's on the wall behind me. But yeah, you, you know what came across in your book was just how strong your lady was in those first few sort of weeks, um, you know, weeks and months. And I know kind of, you know, you talk about when you went across to the apartment that was near, near to the hospital, hospital where you were and stuff and that and how frustrating it was. And she was like a rock for you in those, you know, those few, you know, there was a few, a period of a number of weeks where you were just like, you know, a formidable woman. That's all I can say, man. Yeah, no, and she was only young. I think she was maybe 21 mm-hmm. when I got hit. And we'd only been together for a year. Yeah. You know, she just finished her degree. Just spent, uh, finished her last year and her degree. So she could have popped smoke and left at any time. But um, for whatever reason, she didn't, mm. you know, and we just celebrated our 11-year anniversary um, on two days ago. So been together since the end of 2006. So, yeah, lucky me. <laughs> and what's it like living with Mark uh, Ormrod, do you reckon, for, uh, uh, for your wife? It could be challenging, I think. Um you know, I just, I don't like being stuck in the house. Um, I like getting out. 
So we, we've got a nice balance though. You know, so like, like I said earlier, I'll, we'll go on bike rides and stuff together. But like today, you know, we've all been stuck in the house. I haven't even put my legs on today. Yeah. Uh, I haven't been out at all. And Becky took the kids out after dinner, took them for a walk around the forest in the woods, you know, burn off that last little bit of energy. And uh, that's then given us that space that we need. Whereas normally, you know, if I had legs, I could go out and walk around the block, whatever, when I got frustrated or, you know, jump in the car, I guess. Mm -hmm. In our situation, like now, eight, nine o'clock at night, if my legs are off and I I need to go blast some steam, I have to figure out a different way to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, so today, it's been a long day today with the homeschooling. It's been pretty tough to get back into it today. Mm. Um, So we did, you know, the kids did the old exercise this morning before school, and they just took them out after. So if it, we've got our own little coping mechanisms. Mm. We just adapt them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's finding how to adapt them in different kind of situations and stuff and that. And I know that you're a petrol, bit of a petrol head as well, aren't you, from what I can see? Yeah, yeah, I am, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's been, that's been pretty tough, actually, having that car sat on the driveway and not being able to go out and take it, take it out bet. for a spin. But yeah, yeah, yeah I'll bet. You'll still be there. <laughs> and, and so, clearly, would it be a GTR or a Tesla, do you reckon? Would the GTR beat the Tesla? Would you would you would you be a GTR or a Tesla man in your dream world? I know you've got a GTR, but Oh, GTR all day. <laughs> I knew yeah, that would be yeah, the yeah. case. I got in a Tesla the other day because some friends of ours have got have got one. And um I hate to say this to you Tesla owners, but it did absolutely nothing for me. I got in it and it was kind of like because it's kind of quite they're quite cavernous in the back, and I got it and I was just like, it was a bit of an underwhelming experience and I know when I've been to Goodwood and the electric cars go up the hill you're just like mm, I just find that a bit underwhelming do you know what I mean <laughs> yeah you got you got to drive a car aren't you you got to <laughs> hear it and feel it and drive it you know and what was your first what was your first car I mean you've obviously not gone straight up to the GTL <laughs> what, what was your first car that you got into <laughs> my first ever car yeah it was a 1.4 liter Escort Cosworth replica because <laughs> I couldn't afford a two liter turbo real one. Um, yeah, I, I've had Fords a lot of my life. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, but that was all I could afford at, at 17. Yeah. I, I actually went to a car supermarket to get the Escort GTI. Um, was after we signed the paperwork. I got the dealer to ring up for an insurance quote. The car was seven grand. The insurance was six and a half. I was like, yeah, stop. I'm not having it. I'll go and get a 1.4 instead. <laughs> and what's what's pretty cool as well is your, um, I noticed on your um, on your uh, docu-film that's on uh, on Prime is really, is, is how you've got the different settings on your legs so, you, so it can adjust to when you're in the car and stuff, which I thought was well cool. Yep. I just didn't even, even know that existed. Like, I was like, that's amazing. Yeah, I've got an app on my phone um, that hooks up to my legs. I can change the different, I've got six different modes that I can get into. Um, I can adjust things like the, the board swing phase, the resistance of the hydraulics in the back of the knee. Uh, I can put like a deep sleep battery saver mode on there just to save the battery life and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, one of the modes is driving. So I set it up, uh, I think it's uh, 43 degrees. 
at the minute and I can change it in the car uh -huh. depending on what I'm driving and uh, it just locks the hydraulic at the back at whatever angle so I can press the brake and accelerator that's mad it's just totally yeah. mad. I just didn't eat like until I saw that. I was just like, I didn't even realize that this kind of like, like I've heard of like motability where you can have the hand controls and stuff, but I just the idea of actually having the controls through your through your prosthetic legs, I just couldn't, I just never re even occurred to me that, that that was actually a thing. Incredible, yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. So, where we've covered a ton of stuff today, Mark, in this conversation, and it's been wicked to speaking to you and kind of unpacking a lot of the kind of the mindset behind how you get to where you're getting and, you know, the things that you've done and the experiences that you've had and stuff and that. Um, what would what would be something that people would be surprised to know about, you You know, your kind of audience that you've got in terms of something that people would be surprised to know about you that, that a lot of people wouldn't really know? Oh, I don't know. Um... I really love Christmas, <laughs> which is bizarre. You know, I, I made the kids watch Home Alone the other day. Um, but like when you bear in mind, I got blown up on Christmas Eve. You'd think I'd hate Christmas and every Christmas Eve I'd be a mess. But I, I think it's, again, it's another one of those things where gratitude shines through. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just a bit of a nerd with it. You know, I'm 36 years old. And I just annoy the hell out of my wife and kids when it comes to Christmas. Um, so, yeah, there's that. Um, I don't really know. Um, and have you, Clark Gris have you Clark J. Griswold did your house before? Have I done what? So have, I, have you, I done that to my house? Yeah, have you done a, have you done a Clark Griswold on your house before and just like, done the Christmas no, is, <laughs> no, this is the thing, because I rely on my wife to do that kind of stuff because I can't get up and down ladders, but she won't do it. I put an eight-foot inflatable snowman on the garage roof once. I got my mate to do it, and she went mad. But she came on as a, a giant snowman on the on the garage roof, eight foot tall. So yeah, we kind of keep it classy now. <laughs> oh, that is quite funny. That is quite funny. Um, so, in terms of like. Oh, God, because it became my composure now. This picture of this like eight foot snowman on top of. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the um, so draw, drawing things to a close, we talk about um, you know we've touched upon kind of meaning, and we've talked, we've spoken about vision and stuff, and having a vision board today. Um, the kind of three pillars of Guild of Dads that I've kind of set out: vision, action, and meaning that we discussed early, you know, before we came on air. And one thing I was going to ask you, Mark, is what gives? What is the thing that gives you meaning in life? What is the thing that gives you meaning? I think it's what I touched on earlier is, is just striving every day to be the, the ultimate version of myself. Mm -hmm. You know, the, th the thing with me, the way I look at it, and you, you know the story because you've read the book, but for those, those who haven't, you know, when I got blown up, you got, I know initially there was a team of seven other guys that were unbelievably professional, right, in, in what they did, which helped save my life. Then I got into the back of a helicopter and I couldn't have standard life-saving procedures performed on me because I didn't have any legs. I had an arm missing. I bled out. So the medics in the back of that helicopter performed a, they didn't even perform the right procedure because the procedure that they were going to have to perform on me to get fluids into my veins involved drilling into my tibia and fibula, but I didn't have any. 
So they just literally took a shot in the dark and drilled into my hips and put fluids into my hip bone, which saved my life. Then I get back to Camp Bastion and there's surgeons. I've never seen anybody in the state that I was in who did another bunch of procedures to save my life. Then they got me home, you know, and all these people along the way on that chain did something incredible to save my life. And so I kind of feel like I want to be the best version of myself and strive just to get better by 1% every day as a way to say thank you to those people and a mark of respect for what they did for me. Mm. Because I think the ultimate insult is for me wasting the second opportunity I've been given, mm. you know, and just going like, yeah, great, brilliant. I'm alive, but my life's rubbish because mm. I've got no legs and I've got one arm and just being miserable and angry and bitter. Mm. So, you know, I kind of feel like I owe it to literally hundreds of people from the, the minute it happened through the, to save my life, hundreds of people that made calls, you know, cut this, put a fluid in there, mm. put a bandage on there. You know, it's, I just wanted them from the very beginning when they saw me, you know, either on social media or, or back in the day when I was in the mainstream media quite a lot, to see me and go like, oh, all right, he's doing good. That's nice. I'm glad I made the decisions I made then. Mm. You know, so that that's kind of my my meaning and my purpose, just to be the ultimate version of myself mm. for those guys. Yeah. Oh, it's fucking powerful, and it's 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 incredibly inspirational as well, Mark. Because the thing is, uh, gosh, you're getting me going now. Um, Listen, there's a there's a bit in your book where you kind of walk up to get to get your medal with the other guys, uh, the other Marines and stuff, and you just like it's it's just such a powerful scene to kind of picture in my mind. You going up to going up to get that medal, but I think what what is important for me to mention in this conversation that we're having tonight as well is that there was a point at which when you were on that I think on on the helicopter they weren't too sure whether you were slipping away I think they put a mask on you and they couldn't there was no content you know there was no condensation to indicate that you were breathing mm-hmm. and stuff and so you know I can't underestimate to, for people that are watching this or listening to it that Mark was very close to not being you know, uh, you know very very close and the, the the kind of efforts that these guys had to do to to, to keep him alive and keep him to keep him with us are just like nothing short of amazing on the back of a helicopter flying through flying through the skies mm-hmm. of Afghanistan at, as fast as it would go wasn't it they were three it was throwing mm-hmm. you around as fast as they could pretty much get you back to Camp Bastion it's just it's incredible it's yeah. an incredible story man and it's just it's it's fucking inspirational and I just like uh, the the thing that I, I that that I take away from it <clears throat> reading it is just like the words no excuses like no one can make an excuse you know there's no none of us can make excuses you know and that's the thing that i really do take away from from your book and your story and you know what you've been through it's incredible thank you so uh yeah it's been a privilege man it's been a privilege having you on here and speaking to us tonight and it's uh i it, you know i can't thank you enough and it's and I love this is why I love the medium of podcasting, the people that I can speak to. And, you know, I, I said it on a live before I came on here tonight on Instagram that, you know, if the discussions I have with my guests just change the lives of just one person that's listening, mm-hmm. then I've done my job. Yeah. Happy days. So I thank you, man. And uh, if people want to link up with you, uh, send you a message, send you an Instagram message, or link up with you on social media find out a bit more about you, what is the best way for them to do so, Mark? 
I'm, I'm on all the social media platforms. Uh, my handle is the same on all of them, just at Mark Ormrod. Mm-hmm. Um, or through the website, markormrod.com. Okay. And you've also got a, a docu-film as well on Amazon Prime, haven't you, which I checked out the other day, which again is pretty it's pretty cool. It, it kind of recounts a story, plus there's some first-hand accounts from also some of your family and your wife. Yeah. And I think you're... I don't know whether he's on there. I think your jujitsu, your jujitsu uh, guy is on there as well. I'm sure he is from memory. So, but uh, but yeah, that's worth checking out as well if you want to find out a bit more. <clears> so, uh, thank you very much for joining us tonight, Mark. Oh, thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it. No, I the pleasure is all mine. Pleasure is all mine. My there you go. Take care, mate. Thank you. Cheers, man. Cheers. So there you have it. My conversation with Mark. I'm going to be really honest, reading through Mark's book had a big impact on me, not least because his injuries from the IED in Afghanistan were pretty horrific. We didn't go into it in too much detail in our conversation today, but you can check it out by reading his biography, Man Down. I don't say this to shock or sensationalise, but it undermines what a remarkable journey he's been on. But he is so down to earth and so matter of fact about the whole episode when he speaks about it today, it is really incredible. The overriding theme for my discussion with Mark is perspective and gratitude. We all think we have it worse than everyone else, that other people's lives are so much easier than ours, that life could be so much better. Honestly, our lives are probably in a lot better place than we think, as lockdown has shown us. The real problem is that in most cases we take our lives and our abilities for granted until the day they're no longer there to be taken for granted of. Mark is an inspiration and I'm sure he won't mind me saying that. If he can do it, anyone can, whether it be getting on your bike, competing at jiu-jitsu or representing your country at the Invictus Games or just being the best dad and husband you can be. My key takeaways from today's conversation, firstly, the getting up early every day and having something to visualise and focus on is half the battle. Secondly, that being grateful for where you are and how far you have come is something to be celebrated. And thirdly, that anyone can do most things provided they put their mind to it, do the work and show up. Now, if you want to find out a bit more about Mark, you can check out his website, which is markormrod.com. His book, Man Down, is available on all good, uh, from all good bookstores, including Amazon. And you can also get it on Mark's website. And you can check out his docu-film, hashtag No Limits, the Mark Ormrod documentary, which is on Amazon Prime. He's on all the usual social media channels, on Instagram, at Mark Ormrod, Twitter, at Mark Ormrod, and Facebook, Mark Ormrod Motivational Speaker. If you check him out, reach out to him. He'd love to hear from you with your story and let him know your uh, takeaways from the conversation today. I will link up all of the uh, points that we've discussed in the show notes to the episode, which you can find over at guildofdadscott.com. So if you missed any of the links that I've mentioned, they're all going to be on those show notes. So you can go over there and check it out. If you want to hear more discussions just like this one today, the best way to do it is by subscribing on your podcast player of choice, be that iTunes, Google Podcasts or Spotify. If you subscribe, then you will uh, get to find out 
the podcast episodes that are coming up each week they'll just pop up on your podcast player of choice so that is the best way to hear more discussions like the one today you can drop us a rating and review that'd be very much appreciated but the biggest compliment that you can give to me is by just sharing this episode out however you want to whether that be on whatsapp messenger or text the more information that can be shared out it's really important as some of the information can be truly life-changing for dads that you may know so if you can do that that would be really fantastic and i would really appreciate it you can get involved with the discussion on facebook instagram or twitter using the handle at guild of dads and check out our facebook group to join the guild if you like what you hear and you want to email me i love to hear from listeners so ping me an email joe at guildofdads.com let me know what you like what you don't like and who you would like me to interview even i'd love to know thanks for listening if you want to find out more about what we're doing at guild of dads then head over to www.guildofdads.com and in the meantime, live a life of vision, action and meaning.